0: Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om Satoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityurma Amritam Gamaya Om, Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness unto light. Lead us from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. Some of you may have doubtless seen the strange subject that is uh, on the menu this morning, Vedanta and the art of archery. (laughs) But those who have been following uh, Vedanta or have been interested in Buddhism and have been reading up for a long time, maybe some, some of you have come across a delightful little book long, long ago called Zen and the Art of Archery. So that's where I have sort of taken the uh, name from, Vedanta and the art of archery. You see, um, Zen and the art of archery, it's based on something called Kudo, which they have in Japan, where they used archery as a spiritual practice. They were not shooting anybody. Just <laughs> not a live target. Not a life target. That can't be very spiritual. But uh it, it just the sport of archery uh, and instead of making it a sport or actually combat what they would do is the form would be archery they would actually have a bow a bow and an arrow but the whole practice would be zen meditation so the whole practice was to induce a zen meditative state and the goal was satori enlightenment now centuries why centuries Thousands, literally thousands of years before that Zen archery, there was Vedantic archery. They didn't actually use a bow and an arrow, but the metaphor is there. So what I'm referring to is the Mundaka Upanishad, one of the Upanishads, the cold texts of Vedanta, where there is this lovely mantra, wonderful mantra, which I will recite to you and translate to you now. Truly wonderful, truly inspiring. It goes something like this Dhanur grihitva upanishadam mahastram sharam upasanishitam sandhaita ayamya tadbhava gatena chetasa laksham tadevaksharam vidhi. The teacher is telling the student. Pick up the bow, take up the bow, the mighty bow of the Upanishad. The Upanishad, the code text of Vedanta, that's the bow. Take it up. Place upon it an arrow. Your mind, you yourself are the arrow. Sharpened and straightened by meditation and spiritual practice. Place upon it. Ayamya, draw back the bowstring. Draw the arrow back. With a mind suffused by the thought of Brahman. With the mind immersed in the thought of Brahman, draw the, the arrow back, draw the bowstring. And then let fly says that that goal, the goal is the absolute. Tadeva Aksharam. The Akshara means the absolute, the unchangeable reality, the spiritual reality, call it Brahman, God, whatever. That is the goal. And who what's the arrow? You are the arrow. And what's the bow? The bow is the Upanishad. Vedanta, let fly and unerringly, without mistake, pierce that target. So my dear child, Somya, my dear child, pierce the target, strike the target unerringly. Become one with the target, that is become one with the absolute. So this very beautiful metaphor is used, the metaphor of archery is used for spiritual life. That's what we are going to speak about today. Nobody's shooting anybody with with an arrow. But here, in case you are wondering who is doing the shooting, you yourself are doing the shooting. You yourself are the arrow. Or you can put it this way, the guru, the teacher is doing the shooting. He's going to put you on the arrow and shoot you towards God. Uh, He's going to put you on the bow, the Upanishad. You are the arrow and it's going to shoot you towards God. So that's what we are going to do today. We will not only understand, explore this metaphor, but we'll understand how it applies to our spiritual life. And maybe we'll do a little bit of archery too this morning. So let's see. First of all, notice that uh, though the metaphor is archery, you are the arrow and there's the target, which is Brahman. And the arrow has to go and hit the target. But remember, the metaphor seems to be one of distance. There is, really speaking, no distance. Really, there is no distance. The distance between you and Brahman is one of ignorance, not physical distance. You don't actually have to fly up somewhere and hit God. I can imagine God going, ow. <laughs> no. It's one of ignorance. Brahman is right here. Brahman, the ultimate reality, is you. You are that. That is you. But we don't know that. We don't know that. This not knowing it is the distance which has to be covered by the arrow. So, if the distance is ignorance, the method can only be knowledge. The flight of the arrow is only knowledge. We have to know, we have to realize, make it a living reality for ourselves. That is the process. So what? Uh, let me translate the verse for you completely. Pick up the bow, the mighty bow. Mahastram, the mighty bow, a mighty weapon of the Upanishad. Pick it up. Take the mind sharpened and straightened by spiritual practice. We shall get into all that. Sharpened and straightened by spiritual practice and place it on the bow. When... Completely suffused with the thought of the spirit of Brahman. Draw back the bowstring. What is drawing back? We shall talk about that. Draw back the bowstring. And Brahman being your goal. The absolute being our goal. Let let fly my dear child. And strike that target. And it's also interesting. The Sanskrit word used. vidhi, It means pierce the target. But it also means. no realize. The two meanings are there. Literally in Sanskrit, Vidhi means to know, to know something, and also means piercing something, entering into something. So Vidhi is piercing or striking the target, also knowing it. So in both, both things apply here. Actually, you're supposed to know yourself as Brahman, as the ultimate reality. Now, the question arises, How does one use the bow of the Upanishad? The bow of the Upanishad is there. The bow of Vedanta is there. How does one actually go about it? One has a general idea. If there's a real bow and an arrow, you sort of take it up and put it there and pull it back and let go. It's not as simple as that. Anybody who's tried archery knows. But yes. But the Upanishad bow, the bow of Vedanta, how does one use it to realize that one is Brahman? To answer that, I'll have to cover the whole of the Upanishad for us right now, the whole of Vedanta right now for us. No mean task, but I am helped in this pursuit by one fact, one advantage I have is many of us here are not new to Vedanta. The general principles many of us are acquainted with. Many of us here have been coming for many, many years. So if I sort of race through it, you'll forgive me because I don't have months and months to talk about it. So here goes, the general principles of Vedanta. What does Vedanta tell us? What are we doing here? We are trying to understand how to use the bow of the Upanishad. So what does does it mean, using the bow of the Upanishad? What is Vedanta telling us? In essence, the famous Vedantic dictum, Shankaracharya said, in one sentence, let me tell you what Vedanta is. Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya Jeeva Brahmhe What does it mean? Brahman, the absolute alone, is real. The world as it appears to us is false, an illusion, an appearance. And you, you, are you real or an appearance? The Vedanta says, never fear, you are Brahman. So Brahman alone is real. The world of an experience is is an appearance. And you are, in reality, Brahman. Three parts, three areas we have to cover and this is what we shall explore. Now I want to explore this with the help of an example which I find goes down very nicely. Uh, The example is what we see out there when you go to Montecito and look out of the beach onto the Pacific Ocean. The waves rushing towards the shore. I want to take up that example. Imagine way out there where the oil rigs are, you know, there. A wave comes up in the ocean, a little wave, and it comes up in the ocean, and this wave looks around and sees other little waves and big waves, and it's so delighted. Wow, this is fun, and it plays with some of the waves, and it makes friends with some of them, and thinks that, okay, they are my friends. Those are not so good, they're a little mean to me, and there are the grown-up waves, the big serious waves rushing along towards the And it's having fun growing up and learning to be a wave, wave, knowing the ways of the wave. And as it grows up, becomes a mature and responsible wave, doing wave-like things. (laughs) And it looks around, and it sees many of its kind. But there are problems. There are problems too. It's not all sunshine and surf. There are problems too. What are problems? Well, first of all, not all waves are nice, some of them are my friends, some of them are not so nice to me, they are mean to me. And then some waves are actually much bigger than me. The wave sees, they are really big, I wish I could be like that. And wow, what's that? That's a tsunami wave, I'll never be like that. You know, I'm just somehow making do, that guy is a multi-billionaire, I'll never go up to that level. <laughs> Some waves are bigger. They are, they are richer, more knowledgeable, more handsome, and more you know, healthy. And they've got it made in their wave-like life. <laughs> I feel inferior. I'll never measure up to that. And then it looks around and sees small waves, bubbles, and foam. Hey, they're no good. They're losers. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm really good. And these are small problems compared to what's coming up. It looks out there and sees, oh my god, what's that? And other waves say that that's Montecito, Santa Barbara, California, coming up towards us. What's going to happen? What happens to all waves? We die. We, we, we dash against the shore and we burst into spray and foam and, and we die. Am I going to die too? This is the question that turned the Prince Siddhartha into the Buddha. Am I going to die too? Does everybody die? Yes. Everybody dies. All waves dash against the shore and they disappear back. Gone. I'm going to die, oh my god. And so death is there. Not only that, it feeds itself getting smaller and smaller. It always thought, no, life will go on like this. I'll be young and healthy and things going to get better and better. Very soon you realize things are not going to get better and better. (laughs) In fact, I was feeling a little ill Sometime back, and then I asked, asked a monk who was a doctor friend of mine back in the main monastery, and he just smiled and knowingly and he said, you just hit the 40s. There's nothing, nothing. I mean, you hit the 40s. Yeah, you hit the 40s. And then you'll hit the 50s and the 60s. Things are not going to get better. You can manage it. You can manage it. But you can make sure that it isn't too bad, but it's not going to get better. One doctor told me that uh, the truth is, Swami, we have now reached a stage where we can more or less assure you of a long life. But we cannot assure you that you will live well. You can live long, and that's, that's quite possible these days. And people live long, and even if, when they have serious illnesses, they actually come back. If you've got the right medical plan, you actually come back from very serious illnesses. But it's not a pleasant life. So, old age, I'm diminishing, I'm becoming smaller, the wave thinks now. And, and also, inevitably, the shore is there. There for all of us, for the wave and for all of us. Death is there, whether we think about it, not not. Santa Barbara is rushing up towards us. Now, comes next to this wave who is hitting midlife and getting worried with the mid- midlife wave crisis. And comes a Vedantic wave a Vedantic wave and it says to this wave, you know, there is something in our Vedanta philosophy which we call water. Yeah, what's that? What's that? It's something that is um, immortal, you know, it's immortal. It doesn't um, age, it doesn't get dashed into Santa Barbara and die and it's always, it's always water. And the wave says, really, that sort of thing is there? Yes, it is eternal. It's it's water. And it's where waves are born and into which waves disappear, but the water continues. And the wave will go, that's great for water, but doesn't solve my problem. (laughs) And the Vedantic wave says, take a look at yourself. Take a look at yourself. You are really water. You are really water look at yourself. The surface of you is water. Look deep inside you, it's water. Look at your sides, you're water. Look at the top, it's water. Look at the bottom, it's water. You are water. You always were water. Before you were born as a wave, you were water. And when you were a little wave, you were water. When you are now a big wave, you are water. When you will again be you're diminishing, you'll still, water. you'll still be water. When you dash against the shore there, you will be uh, You will be spray and foam and surf and still water. In fact, all you have been all throughout is water. The wave is a name and a form and a function. But really the core of you is untouched by all of this. You are as water, immortal, eternal. That's one thing. And then the wave thinks, wow, that's great. You're right. Not only that, think about it. Look around you, all the waves, the big wave which you're jealous of, the little wave you're contemptuous of, those you think are your friends, those you think are mean to you, those you are indifferent to, and all the bubbles and all the surf and all the foam, all of that is nothing but water. It's the same through and through. And not only all of that is water. Not only are you same with everybody else. You are everything. As a wave, you're cut off from everything. As water, you are this entire ocean. In fact, which is more powerful, wave or water? Wave goes. Yeah, water is more powerful because water is there and wave comes and goes. Which is more powerful, the water or the ocean? Our first impulse is to say ocean looks very big, it's powerful. Actually, water is more powerful than the ocean because the ocean depends for its existence on water. Water does not depend on the ocean for its existence. So you are this water, you are all the waves. In fact, you are the ocean itself. Waves come up in you, they play around in you, they disappear back into you. You are this infinite ocean. Not only that, You are the essence of all the waves. This is something to be understood. The wave is a form. A bubble is a form. the, The surf is a form. But the essence of it is water. So you are the essence, the reality of each. Names and forms keep coming and going. You are the reality of that. The essence of everything. The unchanging essence of everything. And in Vedanta... The unchanging, eternal essence of anything is called the truth. The changing appearance is called appearance, is falsity. Wave is false, water is real. When you say wave is false and water is real, what we mean in Vedanta is not that the wave doesn't exist. What we mean is the wave is an appearance of the reality called water. Exactly in the same way, in this vastness, There is one unchanging reality called Brahman. Pure existence or pure being, Brahman, which is unchanging, in which all things appear. People are born and they exist and die. Non-living things come up. Even even mountains come up and crumble back into the the, the ground. Oceans come up and oceans dry up. All of this happens, living and non-living. Stars are born, stars live and stars die. All of that happens in the invisible ocean of being which is Brahman, the absolute. It is eternal things come and go. Just like water, it is common to everybody. Not only you are Brahman, that Brahman is everywhere. And it is the same in everybody the same in the billionaire and the homeless person. It is the same in the most knowledgeable professor in the university, Nobel Prize winner. It's the same in an illiterate person. It's the same in the healthy, it's the same in the sick. It's the same in the old and the young. It's the same in the living and the non-living. One ocean of being, which is the essence of everything. And being one in everything, being the essence of everything, being eternal. What did we just say? That which is one in everything and the essence in everything and eternal in everything is called truth. It's called the truth. And everything else is an appearance of that truth. So that Brahman which is the truth, everything here is an appearance. The essence of Vedanta is Brahman is the truth, the world is an appearance. This is an explanation of what what I just said. Shankaracharya said the essence of Vedanta, the world is an appearance of which Brahman is the truth. Brahman is the truth and the world is an appearance. Hold on to the wave and water metaphor. The wave and water. The water is one in all waves and bubbles and surf and everything. In the entire Pacific Ocean, it's one reality called water. Think about it. If you count waves, how many are there? Thousands and thousands and thousands uncountable if you count bubbles even more so, but if you count the water one one In the same way if you start counting living beings if you count human beings seven billion of us if you count non-human beings billions and billions if you count non-living entities trillions and quadrillions of particles buzzing around in this universe But if you count pure being itself, existence itself, one. So Brahman is one in this immensely variegated universe, one. Just like water is one in the ocean. Second, Brahman is eternal. Waves come and go, it's always water. Before waves, it was water. When it's a wave, it's water. When the wave disappears, it's water. It just goes back to water. In the same way... Brahman is eternal. Beings are born. Living beings are born. Non-living things are created. They exist in that ocean of being and they disappear back into that ocean of being which is Brahman. Second, that is the second thing. First thing is, it's one. Things are many. Existence is one. Brahman is one. Things come and go. Brahman does not come and go. It's permanent. Third, it is the essence. Like the water is the essence of the wave. In the same way, Being or existence or Brahman is the essence of everything that exists. And third, because it is one, because it is eternal, because it is the essence, it is called the reality. Brahman is real and what it appears as is in Sanskrit called mithya or the false. So this is the meaning of Brahman is real, the world is false. Remember, what are we trying to do? We're trying to use the bow called Vedanta, Upanishad, the bow called Upanishad. We're trying to understand what it means to use that bow. That's the first part. And the second part, Brahman is real, the world is an appearance. I hope you are with me so far. Or did I leave you somewhere? <laughs> I, think, I think we are together, we're on the same page. Now there's one part that's remaining you are Brahman, brahma satyam jagat mitya jiva brahma which means the individual being, you, us, we are Brahman. That's the interesting part. I'll come to that now. So there is an infinite existence everywhere in which things arise and disappear. That infinite existence is the reality. All things are appearances. Then Vedanta says, how do you experience this infinite reality, Brahman. It says, you are Brahman. Brahman is ever available within each of us. Brahman is available because it is just like water is available in every wave, in every bubble, in every bit of foam and surf. In the same way, Brahman is available in all things that exist. And indeed, Brahman is available in each of us. And the Upanishad says, The way to realize Brahman is to realize Brahman within ourselves. It would be foolish if the wave started looking for water elsewhere. It's there, everywhere. But for the wave to understand, to overcome its fear, to overcome its suffering, it must know what? Not that the tsunami wave is made of water. Not that the bubble is made of water. It must know that I am water. In the same way, enlightenment means knowing that I am Brahman. Realizing that, not on just hearing it, realizing it, making it a living fact of our lives, that I am Brahman. That's what we are going to enter now. That's the other part of Vedanta. How do I realize that I am Brahman? Vedanta says, look within. Look at what you consider yourself to be. The wave would say, I consider myself to be a wave. How do I know that I am water? You see, the... Ex- the situation is analogous, exactly like that for us. For an enlightened person, when when I say, I am this little person, I am Swami, here I am standing before you. To an enlightened person, it's the most ridiculous thing I could say. How do I appreciate myself as Brahman? Vedanta says, there are different ways, here is one way. Look at everything that changes within you. You will notice everything that changes in us is either in the body or the mind. What has become old? You say, I I change. I was a kid and I've become old now. So I've changed. How can I be the changeless Brahman? Ah, but what changed? What has changed? Well, obviously the, the body was a little kid's body, then it was a teenager's body, then it was a young man or woman's body. Now it's an old person's body. Well, look at your own language. What has changed? The body has changed. And are you aware of the change? What is aware of the change of the body? The consciousness within the body, the awareness, the sentience within the body, that is aware of the changing body. Let me ask you, what are you? Are you the changing body or the unchanging awareness? Or a mixture of the two? What are you? Most people wouldn't say that I am the changing body. Most people would say I'm sort of a cha- mixture of the permanent and impermanent and unchanging awareness and a changing body. Really, think about it. The more we think about it, the more we will see that the changing body, which we without question embrace as our own self, really is not our own self. It's no more than the clothes we wear. It's very close to our own self, it's very close to us. But it's not us. The health of the body, sometimes you're healthy, sometimes you are sick and sometimes energetic, sometimes tired. But the one unchanging consciousness, awareness, sentience, watches and experiences health and sickness and recovery, tiredness and energy, vigor and weakness of the body are all recognized by one unchanging awareness. Person who is sick is never sick permanently. That person clearly remembers being healthy and clearly remembers after recovery being sick at one time. So what was sick? Not the consciousness, not the sentience. The Sentience or consciousness which you are is like a light lighting up the different conditions of the body. So the body changes and is changing continuously. You are the unchanging awareness. Just like the water is unchanging no matter what the wave does. In the same way, the awareness within each of us is unchanging. One. Second, what's common to all of us? Vedanta veterans would say that unchanging awareness, of course, because we have been studying it for so long. What differentiates us? Bodies, obviously. Minds, thoughts. Our personal histories, our lives. So our lives and bodies and minds This is what differentiates us. But the consciousness which is aware of this body and this mind, is that consciousness different here and different there? Remember, the mind is different here and different there. What you know, I do not know. What you like, maybe I do not like. Your personal histories and my personal history is different. But the consciousness which experiences the person here and the consciousness which experiences the person there, are they two different consciousnesses? One Sufi poet put it beautifully. He writes, You and I are lattices. You know, there are lattices right behind you, the windows, the lattices. You and I are lattices of the one lamp through which shines one true light. There is a lamp and one light is shining through. If you look at the lattices, it seems different beams of light are coming out. It's one light shining through, there when it shines out it calls itself Mr. So-and-so, here when it shines out it calls itself Swami So-and-so, there it says it's Miss or Mrs. So-and-so, but it's one light of pure consciousness. Vedanta would say you and I are not lattices of the lamp, you and I are that one true light, the lattices are the bodies and minds, you are that one immortal light I am that same one immortal light so it is the same in all of us that one consciousness bodies are different the lattices are different minds are different personal histories are different the little persons are different they have their own the waves are all different they have their own histories but the water is common to all of them there is one consciousness common to all of us that one unchanging consciousness and that consciousness is the essence of who we are we think We are bodies with consciousness. Vedanta wants us to understand that we are consciousness with bodies. We think we are human beings in search of a spiritual experience. The truth is Vedanta wants us to understand we are spiritual beings having a human experience. It is one consciousness and that consciousness is the essence of who we are. And remember what did we say? That which is unchanging, that which is same everywhere... One everywhere, and that which is the essence is the truth. That consciousness is the reality. Body and mind is the appearance. You are in reality an unchanging, immortal, pure consciousness. The person is an appearance. The person whom we take to be real. We think that our reality is this person I am. This is an appearance. Appearance of what? of that one, unchanging, essential consciousness. The very word person. I was amazed to discover how the English word person came. It has its roots in ancient Greece. When uh, in theatrical performances, they had open-air amphitheaters, and in theatrical performances, the actors would come out. They had no microphone or anything like that. So they would come out and... Shout out their lines, what they had to say. And each actor was performing as a character. And that character, they would depict with a big mask. They would hold the mask in front of them and then say their lines. And those masks were apparently called personae. Personae. And that's what the word personality means, a mask. I am this person. It's a mask. You're saying I am this mask. Who wears the mask? Who wears the mask? We are so attached to our little personalities. It has changed so much. My personality as a kid was something else. As a teenager, something else. As a young person or middle-aged and old person, something else. And tomorrow if I get um, um, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or something, just the whole personality will be blown away. What remains? Why only... In old age, Alzheimer or Parkinson, every day in the night, when we go to dream, you know, our daytime life slips away and we enter a world of of dreams. And then when dreams stop in deep sleep, what am I when I'm not experiencing a world, when I'm not experiencing the body? When I'm not experiencing my memories, my thoughts, my ideas, my likes, my dislikes. When I don't remember my name. Memory does not work. I don't remember anything. I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. I don't touch anything. What am I then? Something within you will tell you that you are not zero then. You still are. You still are. When you are not seeing, hearing anything, when you're not thinking anything, when you're not remembering anything, when you don't even know your name, you have no sensations, absolutely in deep sleep, you still are. What is that? It can't be this little person. This little person has disappeared there. This little identity has disappeared there. This little world has disappeared there. But what is there? Vedanta says the vastness still remains there. That is one unchanging reality, Brahman. You are that Brahman. One immortal consciousness. And it is one in everything. It is the essence of your being. It's the essence of our being. And it is the truth of which body, mind and world are appearances. That's shining forth. And if we realize that, if that becomes not only a nice lecture, but a living reality for us. It becomes a living reality for us. What do we gain? What does the wave gain by becoming water or realizing itself as water? It doesn't have to become anything. It is already water. It just has to see that it is water. It becomes free of death, immortality. Immortality it becomes free of death. It becomes free of comparison. I have done so much, I have to become so much so big. And this guy is better and that guy is smaller. No, it becomes free of that. This is also water, this is also water, that's also water becomes free of comparison. It becomes free of suffering. So the birth as a wave and rushing along as a wave and then dashing into the shores as a wave, all of it becomes joy because it's still water all the time. It's the play of water. So whole of life becomes the play of consciousness. Then you can say, I am that infinite ocean of consciousness in which bodies and minds and little persons come up as waves. They play with each other, they fight with each other, and they disappear back into me. I am that ocean of consciousness. You're no longer identified with one body and mind. In that same body and mind, you feel a oneness with everything. You feel like opening your arms wide and trying to embrace the whole universe. Because you are the whole universe. The whole universe, in fact, is in you. You are not a little thing in the universe. The universe is a little wave in the ocean that you are. Brahman is real. The world is an appearance. And you are Brahman. The result will be immortality. The result will be a sense of oneness with everything. The result will be bliss and joy. Now reflect back upon what I chanted at the beginning. Asato Asatoma sadgamaya. Take me from the appearance to the reality. From the wave to the water. Gamaya, take me from darkness to light let me know from body and mind to consciousness knowing the world as Brahman and then myself I am Brahman from appearance to reality means knowing that Brahman is real the world is an appearance from darkness to light means I discovered that light within an enlightened whom I consider to be enlightened I always felt He lived somehow, you know, he was living in eternal sunshine. There was some light radiating unmistakably from him. Yesterday I mentioned that old Swami, an Irishman who came to India to become a monk, to become a monk. And he became a monk, a wonderful monk. I saw him in his last days. He was 90 years old and had a he was a very senior monk. I had the occasion to serve him. And he had Alzheimer's forgetting as It happens in old age. I don't know if he had Alzheimer's, but just forgetting. And he wouldn't even remember whether he has eaten or not. So one day I had taken him to his room. In the evening, he was going to sit down for meditation. I was untying his shoelaces. And he said the most remarkable thing to me. He looked down with a beautiful smile. He was a saint. He looked down with a beautiful smile. He said to me, you know, my boy, I don't know where this place is. He had been living there for 60 years. He says, I don't know where this place is, but I know that I am in great bliss. I still vividly recall his smile and his face looking down at me. That's one thing he told me. Another thing he told me before he died, the last time I saw him, he loved roses. So he was sitting in the rose garden, which he had cultivated for 50 years, five decades. He was sitting in the middle of that, this old monk. I bowed down to him. And then he looked at me and he pointed all around, all his beloved rose gardens and the trees around which he had planted, 50 years tended it, he said, all this shall pass away. Atman alone abides, the Brahman alone abides. That's the last thing I ever heard from him. All this shall pass away. Atman alone abides. Atman is the pure consciousness within, that alone abides. And I, I'll always remember it all. I, can de- I mean, these two times, his face was so vivid and clear as he was telling me. I never saw him again. I mean, alive. That's what we said. And then the last line of the prayer, lead us from death to immortality. What happens to the wave when it realizes it is water? It goes from death to immortality. It knows the wave form will die. Our bodies will die. Even the most enlightened of persons, the bodies did die. But the person does not die. It remains, the person remains as pure consciousness. Always. What it always was. So, mrittiur Maamritam gamaya, take us from death to immortality. Take us from death to immortality. Sounds fine, but there's a catch. And I'll speak for the last 15 minutes remaining to me about the catch. The catch is here. The Remember the metaphor of the bow and the arrow. It says, upasa nishitam. The arrow must first, before you shoot the arrow, the arrow must first be sharpened and straightened. Straightening the arrow, what is straightening the arrow? It is called karma yoga. The practice of karma yoga. Straightening the arrow, one must straighten out one's life. Vedanta is not going to work if I am a crook. (laughs) no spirituality without morality a decent moral life is a foundation of spiritual quest one may have spiritual insight but what will happen is if my life is a mess it will tend to overpower that spiritual insight i will never be established it's like being drawing lines on the sand in the surf that will come and wash it away again and again so morality M- morality means truth it means self-control. It means unselfishness. A kind of uh, a basic standards in my life. I will not step beyond this. I think of myself as a good person and let me be a good person. Let me be a good person. Whatever your standards, just be true to yourself. Let's just be true to ourselves and everything will fall in, fall in place. Let me not say things, do things, even think things which later I regret. So this is my my standard. I shall not sink beneath it. I may sink beneath it, but I shall know that I am not allowed to. I shall raise myself up to this level. So that's straightening the arrow. A powerful practice in this is karma yoga. Work which is done for the sake of others. All the time we are trying to make this little person, this little wave happy. But if I am everything why should I spend my life trying to make this perishable little person happy Let me do things for others and you have an advantage in this country I've seen people are generally they are generous and they are kind and they are nice and they really want to help others It's one of the most um, generous countries in the whole world There's a there is a um there is a deep feeling that we need to do good to others and to the environment and they do. This country does a lot of good. Tremendous amount of good. So morality, number one. Uh, that's straightening the arrow. Now, in a straight arrow, one also needs to sharpen the arrow. You see, what happens often is you shoot the arrow. If the arrow is not straight, it will fly anywhere. No matter how well you aim, it will just go anywhere. It will, it will. So you don't go to Brahman with a crooked arrow, with a crooked mind. But with a straight mind, it will fly true and straight. But what will happen at the end is, if the point is not sharp, it will hit the target and bounce off the target or fall flat. And often I hear this, wonderful talk, Swami, but it all disappears the moment I hit the freeway. <laughs> I have financial responsibilities, I have relationship problems, I have health problems. The shore Montecito is rushing up fast and your lectures are not helping. It's not that you do not understand. We do understand. We do understand. After some time, Vedanta is not difficult to catch. It's something because it's right here and right now. It's there right now. Right now it's here. It's not really difficult to get a sense of what they are talking about. But the problem is the arrow is blunt. We understand the arrow strikes the target but bounces off and falls flat. So sharpening the arrow. What is sharpening the arrow? The sharpening the arrow, it says upasanishitam, sharpened by meditation. Not just karma yoga, the yoga of meditation. Sit down calmly, twice a day. Let the mind stop. The mind is an instrument, just like our hands and feet. Just because I have a hand, should I keep grabbing things? I'm reminded of the Charlie Chaplin movie. I think it was modern times where he was a factory worker. And his whole day, he was, yes, he had to tighten a, 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 the, the screws in a particular assembly. It would come up, and he would just do this with a wrench. And he kept on doing that for hours and hours and thousands of time. When he stopped lunch break, he kept on doing this all the time. And the supervisor came and scolded him, stop doing that. And he twisted the man's nose also like that. <laughs> so. Our minds have become like that. Incorrigible, unstoppable thinking. A mental diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) We get tired of it. Somebody wrote this, you know, that it's no wonder that when people kill themselves, tragic incidents of killing, shooting oneself, they shoot themselves in the head. They want that voice to stop. It's an instrument. My hands, I will not let it keep on grabbing things. In the same way, because I have legs, should I keep walking all the time? No. Because I have a nose, should I keep sniffing around all the time? No. If I have a mind, why do, why should I let it keep thinking all the time? I am not the mind. I am the consciousness which is aware of the mind, the witness of the mind. I am the unchanging consciousness. Mind is a series of changing thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas. So switch off the mind. Calm down the mind in meditation at least twice a day. If you're lucky enough to have received a mantra and a deity for meditation, beautiful. That's what is exactly meant here. Sharpen the mind, quieten the mind. It's an instrument. Why is it rebelling against us? Let it be an instrument in our hands. It's the best instrument that we have for realizing Brahman. With an arrow which is straightened and sharpened, place it on on the bowstring and then, ayamya, beautiful word, draw the bowstring back. Here is something I must share with you. Drawing the bowstring back, we need to do that. If we are spiritual seekers, serious spiritual seekers, one needs to take a step back from life. The mad pursuit after pleasure, after money, after fame, after making it in life, that's all right. You will do it and you will get the results of that. What the results are, everybody knows. But when we take up a serious spiritual quest, one must take a step back. Stop. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, simple life, a life without too many activities, without too many obligations, without too many hassles. If you are trying to make it in Silicon Valley or Hollywood for that matter, then do that. If you really want that, then do that. But if we are trying to realize Brahman, become enlightened, then that has to quieten down. You have to turn the volume down of your life. If the external life, if we are too much spread out in the world, always worried about relationship problems, always worried about the mortgage, always worried about this and that, turn down the volume, reduce our needs, make as simple a life as possible. You need the time and energy and the mental resources. You have to develop. You have to devote it. We have to devote it to Brahman. That is drawing the bowstring back. Step back a little bit, from, little bit from life. Life will go on. You need to earn money. Yes, you need to eat. Yes, even monks in the Himalayas need to go out and beg for food. Of course they do. Body is to be the Body is the best instrument for enlightenment. Body is the instrument for enjoying the world and suffering in the world. But body is also the instrument for enlightenment. So you need to take care of the body. Need to exercise, need to eat, need to earn money to maintain yourself. Need a modicum of relationships so that you're not lonely. From outside you do something for the world and you're connected to the world. You're not crazy or something. But a simple life. Step back. You see, that's what a monk is. A monk is that thing to an extreme. A monk does not have possessions. Might have a little bit to get around in the world, but really no possessions. No stuff to worry about. In this country, one problem is stuff. I never knew about the concept of special storage places, big places. (laughs) What do you do? You store your stuff. You store your stuff in your room and it overflows your room, you put it in the garage. When you have no space for your car, you put it in a special Uncle Bob self-storage. And more stuff and more. A monk does not have any stuff. Even if a little bit is there, that no sense of ownership is there. No sense of ownership. So, I mean, Brahmananda sitting and meditating in Vrindavan, I think, some rich person saw him, wonderful aura around him. So, devotionally approached him, bowed down, and gave him a, a wrapper, a, a what you call a blanket, actually. Like a, what you call a comforter here. It was very cold there. And when he did not react, he lovingly wrapped it around him and then he left. After some time, a crook who was watching this, saw the expensive comforter, so tentatively came up, thought the monk was not reacting and snatched it away and ran off. And Swami Ramananda sat there smiling all throughout. Both. No sense of ownership. No sense of ownership. Stuff. Activities. People are engaged in a mad round of activities. Monks reduce it only to the essential. Relationships. A monk has no relationship. What does it mean? He or she has the same relationship with everybody. Relationships give problem when you have different relationships. So relationship, same relationship with everybody. And the monk has only one and only one goal in life. That is realization of, of Brahman, enlightenment. Now, one need not become a formal monk. Remember, Vedanta was taught to householders. Krishna taught it to Arjuna, who was not a monk. And after the teaching also did not become a monk. There are any number of people in the world who, who receive this teaching of Vedanta. So Vedanta is for everybody, not for monks. But what one has to do is internally you have to become monk-like, not monkey-like. I often say the monkey has to become a monk. The monkey mind has to become a monk mind, internally. I have personally met at least a couple of people who are multi-millionaires and deeply spiritual. But you know what? Their millions are external. Their core of their heart is the spirituality. It's not that the spirituality is external and the millions are the core of their heart. But they are few in number. I have met at least two. And one remarkable young man, He was well known in India. He had me flown over from one city to another just to speak to me. And when we spoke, I was really impressed. Here is a multimillionaire, the CEO of a company, and all he's interested in. For six straight hours, he spoke to me about Vedanta, about Buddhism, about spiritual life, about meditation. Mm. Very well read. And I felt that this person has some spiritual awakening. You could sense it. And I asked him, what about your company? Six hours you spent talking to me, the email must be backed up and all. He said, oh, that's just like that. I mean, he said, I really don't care. It's just, I mean, it, it enables me to live the life I want. So it just, it can take care of itself. It can happen. But remember, the core of his life is in spiritual pursuits. So inside, we have to step back from the storm of life into the quietness, into a monk like space within. That is drawing the bowstring. Ayamya. gatena chetasa. The mind must be suffused with Vedantic thoughts. I am existence, consciousness, bliss. And then he says, My dear child, somya. Tadeva uh, laksham tadeva aksharam. That unchangeable, that absolute reality. That is the goal. Hit it unerringly. Next mantra. Concludes, you know, he says, Om, Om is the bow. Om stands for entire Vedanta. Om stands for Vedanta. In fact, you know, if you write the Om in Sanskrit letters, it looks like a bow with an arrow fixed on it. If you write that, yes. Om is the bow, which means Vedanta is the bow. Sharo hi atma, more clear here. You are the arrow. You are the arrow. Brahman is your target. Hit it unerringly. Be very careful. Until enlightenment, pursue it without cease, unerringly. Swami Vivekananda says, arise awake and stop not till the goal is reached. Pursue it with one point, how much, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, how many pots of tears a man weeps for wife and children. I've never heard anybody shedding two tears for God. So unerringly pursue it. Sharavat tanmayo bhavit. Beautiful, I'll leave you with this. Become one with the target, like the arrow becomes one with the target, not bouncing and falling off. Become one with the target. And then the teacher says, very beautiful blessing. In English you say, Godspeed. May your path to enlightenment be without obstacle. May it be a joy, a thing of spirit and joy and light. Your path to enlightenment. With with that blessing. So with that blessing we end. And I'll chant now, later on I'll make the announcements. Om Shanti 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 Om Tatsat Shri Ramakrishna Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.